Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Over the next while, we're hoping to share several stories from our Ebenezer family to show how God is working in us and through us. Today, I want you to hear Vladimir and Alina Babi's story. I interviewed them this past week. Here's the story. Well, good morning, Ebenezer family and friends. With me today, I have Vladimir and Alina Babi, and they have been part of our Ebenezer church family for about 10 years. And you might recognize Vlad as our famous bass player. Uh, he's been serving in our worship ministries. Uh, Vlad and Alina have also been very active in their in their uh, Slavic ministries in their church, serving as as worship leaders in their community. Um, they've also been active in growing a family too. Uh, they have five kids, and I think if I have this right now, they have uh, Mark, who is 14, right, and Sophie, who is 12, and then you have Victoria, nine. Joseph, who is seven, and Benjamin, who is uh, five years old. So, well done. That's a, that's a nice size family. That's, that's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> now, I, I know, I'll just give some context for a church family. Uh, you guys uh, immigrated from the Ukraine to Canada back in January of 2006. Mm-hmm. So that's been about 15 years that you've been in Canada so far. So, uh, wh- why did you decide to move from the Ukraine to Canada? Uh, well, like everybody else uh, we would like to we were looking for better opportunities and just more uh, stable I guess and better life and more opportunities for the children uh, yeah just uh, normal wishes and plans so how have you liked living in Canada so far well it's been a blast I would say uh, we loved uh, the size of it, yeah, <laughs> to begin with, and then uh, uh, just the beauty and uh, uh, just the culture overall. Yeah. yeah. Now you you say that you've enjoyed Canada and you've had good opportunity here and good job, mm. but I I know that you're actually leaving Canada in about two weeks' time to yeah. go back to the U- Ukraine. Yes. So what's up with that? Uh, well. Uh, the time that we spent here, we are really thankful to God. Yeah. Uh, but we've been, the past year was uh, a bit different for us. And that's before the COVID started, like I would say four to six months before even COVID started. Yeah. I began to have this feeling. Uh, personally, I'm just a person of. Uh, really logically oriented and um, how, would, how should I say it, uh, uh, more of an analytical yeah. mindset. Uh, so for me, feelings doesn't do much <laughs> in the first place. So it was challenging for me and I shared with Alina, it was like, what's up with that? I never used uh, my feelings as a guide, Right. but at the same time, I don't want to be limiting to God and I just well, pretty much opened up and said, well, if that's from you, then uh, that will grow. Because uh, at that time, 
the feeling was that we have to come back to Ukraine. And I felt like God was calling us to mm. go there. Yeah, interesting, because we just did a, a seminar for a church family called Hearing God. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that we need to, that God wants to speak to us, and He does speak to us, and we need to listen. Mm -hmm. So, am I, am I understanding right that you, you feel like you've heard from God on something? Yes. Alina, do you, do you want to say, talk about that? Actually, when Vlad tell me about his feeling, I was very angry. <laughs> I, I, I cannot imagine how we can move with, with five kids and what are we going to do in Ukraine. And then Vlad stopped talking with me about it and uh, just pray. And Holy Spirit started to just uh, working with me. The first I start to pray, just God take all what you not put it in my mind. If it's religion, if it's some um, background from the church where when I was grow, just take out all what you. It's not yours. Right. And he started, and it was. It was very big surprise for me how I start to uh, thinking and see the life and his kingdom in in our in this life and the priority of what we have in our life and yeah and he give me those so um, willing like I really want to go there mm. I don't know why but I I feel and I I I waiting for something what he he's have for us already there Wow okay so tell us a bit more about the opportunity now uh, so the opportunity is at the same time as the God changes our hearts uh, Alina's aunt her name is Vera uh, she uh, had a desire to uh, to serve Ukrainian people in any way possible and the God put it on their hearts to, to buy a land 12 years ago. They didn't know for what purpose or anything else. Now they do. <laughs> now they finally figured it out. And what they're planning to do is uh, the young girls who are old enough to um, leave the orphanage. It's like 16, 18 years old. Uh, they basically have nowhere to go. Uh, they are not equipped in even uh, for the society, and uh, so basically, uh, they they don't know how to cook, how to uh, do the laundry, how to bake or anything. So there is no life skills, as because in the orphanage everything is provided for them. Yeah. So there is a big percentage of them of them who uh, would just uh, go to uh, prostitution or, and uh, up to ten percent commit suicide. Oh. So she felt her heart broken for it, and uh, she started praying the dangerous prayer, as you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, so at the same time, we started <laughs> praying the yeah. same prayer, and uh, she didn't want to uh, call anybody, say, "Hey, you want to help me?" Or yeah. uh, she prayed to God and said, "You call people who are supposed to be there." And uh, it's <laughs> it turns out to be us. Uh, wow. We, wow. We didn't plan for this, but God yeah. has own. Those dangerous prayers that we were talking <laughs> about, uh, this, her aunt 
pray that God use me more than you've used me before or used anyone else. And then the second prayer was, God, break my heart for the things that are breaking your heart. And that, that's the prayers that she's been praying. And then God led her to this, this spot and yeah. they had the land and then they decided to build a building and they, they started yeah. praying for workers and you guys, uh, God was working in your hearts and you kind of responded before you even knew what was happening there. Yeah. So um, you're going there with full support, I assume. With God's <laughs> yes, support. <laughs> well, you, you know, you're actually not going there with full support. You're you're no. actually taking a huge step of faith, and you're yeah. you really felt compelled that that since God so clearly spoke to you, yeah. do you want to do you want to speak to that? No, I, mean, I just want to tell. This is God's business. He wants to just to do our part, and He will do His part. We believe this. And we know he will. He have everything what we need already yeah. for us, yeah. and he provide. And uh, the same with this uh, with this building, what we, what uh, the starts already to building in Ukraine, and uh, all what what um, what my auntie and uncle just say, like uh, God, this is your business. Provide and we will do our part we can we just can do what we can mm. and this what happened right now what we hear from her it's incredible this is what got everything yeah this is it's it's something supernatural yeah that's good so um how can we how can we support you as a church uh, family because because you're actually members of Ebenezer, right? Yeah. Uh, you're, you're part of the Slavic community, but you've chosen to be members here. And so your family, and, and by the way, I just want to say that, that um, the reason I want to interview you is because we've been talking about how do we have ears that, and hearts that will hear the voice of God. And the goal is not just to hear God's voice. The goal is to hear God's voice and then respond. Mm -hmm. And so I admire you. For, for being so clear in your hearing and so so decisive in your responding. It's, it's a very, um, it's remarkable. And, and maybe you're, you're a great example of maybe how we need to be hearing it and being willing to respond. So, so thank you for your step of faith. But so I'm asking, how can we as a church, are there ways that we can support you in this endeavor? Uh, first, we would definitely would like to ask Ebenezer family to support us in prayer Yeah, because uh, as you mentioned it's a big step of faith uh, uh, and everything else uh, if God puts something on anybody's heart uh, to donate to the ministry or to support our family uh, we would gladly appreciate and receive us from the God's hand. Thank you for uh, for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing this journey of listening to God and obe obeying. And I know it's, it's, a, it's a big decision. I, we don't take this lightly. Mm -hmm. And so we want to pray with you. And when, this, when we show this, it'll be your birthday, Alina, but also <laughs> two days or three days before you go. And normally we would pray for people and send them off. And so let me pray for, let me pray for you and your family. So Father, thank you for Vladimir and Alina and their family. Thank you uh, that you have put this on their hearts and we believe you have. And thank you that you have given them the faith to respond in obedience right now. It's amazing. And um, 
the, the need around us is great and we can't react and respond to every need but when you put something on, on our hearts God we want to listen and obey and so thank you for this new ministry that's forming uh, thank you for the the um, the people in Germany who put on their heart uh, to build um, a home and a shelter that will equip these young ladies thank you for putting on the hearts of people like Vlad and Lena and these other girls that they would come and be part of this ministry and I, I pray that through their through their ministry in the Ukraine that many many of these young ladies will will um, find um, a place where they can um, succeed in in the world around them and that you would use this to not only help them to develop life skills but you would help them to develop a heart that would want to know and follow you as well and so I just for all the details that have to be looked after for the traveling during this COVID times, I pray that your hand of protection would be upon this family and that you would guide them and that you would encourage them and protect them and bless them and use them in every way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much for being with us. And uh, we look forward to hearing more about the stories of faith in your new community. Thanks. thanks. Wasn't that great? If you want to watch the entire interview, you can find it on ebenezerbaptist.ca. Well, good morning. Welcome to Ebenezer's online worship service. It's so glad, uh, good to have you join us today. And happy Valentine's Day, if that's something you celebrate. My name is Cal, and today we're going to be concluding our sermon series, My House, A House of Prayer. And don't forget, if you've been blessed by our messages uh, over the last while, don't forget to share them on your Facebook page or hit the like button on our YouTube broadcast. Now, over the last six weeks, our focus has been on the very timely and necessary topic of prayer. Now, if you've grown up in a church or in any kind of faith environment, then prayer and our call as God's people to pray are likely not new to you. But if you don't have a Christian or other faith background and prayer is a relatively new concept or a new idea, or even a new practice for you, then I hope that these last several weeks have opened your eyes and heart to the incredible gift of prayer that, that God has given to us. However, if you're anything like me, your prayer life ebbs and flows. It wavers up and down, and we don't have the consistency or the growth in our prayer life that we likely desire. We know, at least in our heads, that prayer is supposed to be our connection to God, but our experience and our practice of prayer it's more like a telephone line that's hit and miss where we call God or we dial Him up when, when we need something or when we want Him to act. And it's not like an umbilical cord where the very essence and necessity of life and living moves through, uh, moves through that cord from God to us. Now, while our focus has more been on the instruction and encouragement and the practice of prayer, today I just want to pull back a little bit and give more of an overview to this concept we've introduced in our title of My House. Now, one of the key aspects of this prayer series is that concept that Pastor Layton introduced to us uh, several weeks ago, my house. And Jesus tells us that my house, your house, you and I, are to be a house of prayer. Now, the, the evolution of God's house went from the temple in Old Testament times to Jesus himself in the gospel. And now it's each person that calls himself a Christ follower as they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and then individually and together we consist of his house. So, when Jesus calls us to be a house of prayer, he is calling us, you and I, separately and together 
to be individuals and a people, a community of prayer. We are to be characterized and distinguished as a praying people. So over the past weeks, we have looked at powerful truths that I believe can and will change your prayer life if we engage with them. My house, your house, a house of prayer. Now this morning, I want to conclude our series, My House, a House of Prayer, by going to one of the passages where this phrase spoken by Jesus as he quoted the Old Testament appears. Now, our passage today comes from Mark chapter 11, 12 to 21. But to start, let's center and read Mark 11, 15 to 17. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up in your homes or wherever you're watching and follow along as I read for us. Mark 11, chapter 15 to 17. Here it says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Now here, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 56, a passage that would have likely been very familiar to his listeners. In the Isaiah context, God, speaking to the nation of Israel, His people, is challenging them to remain faithful, to remain obedient and righteous, despite their discouragement. But God also reminds them of His promise to those outside the nation of Israel, to foreign nations and to outcasts. God wanted His temple, His house, to be a place where all the nations could come and worship Him. When I was a kid, I think I was in grade 7 if I remember correctly, my family had just moved to Canada, a smaller community just outside of Ottawa. And at that time, it was just my sister and I along with my mom and dad. One day after school, my sister and I were bored, and we were outside playing on the driveway when we got, you know, one of those ideas. Our garage at that time had a one-piece garage door, not the section ones that most of you would have these days, meaning that when it opened and closed, part of it extended over the driveway. Well, my sister and I thought it would be fun to open the garage door, climb up on the inside, the higher end, and as someone closed the door, slide down onto the driveway outside, just barely squeezing through the gap between the upper garage door frame and the door itself. Uh, Can you picture what I'm trying to, to describe here? Well, we knew my dad wouldn't be very happy with this little stunt we were going to pull. But since he wasn't home from work yet, we figured we had some time to try our little experiment. So we opened the garage door. My sister climbed onto the end inside the garage and I pulled down the door and closed it slowly enough so she could slide down without getting caught between the door and the, 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 uh, the garage door and the door frame. Well, sure enough, just as, began, uh, just as she began sliding down, my dad turned the corner onto our street and caught us red-handed. Needless to say, he wasn't very happy. We both got quite the lecture that afternoon about safety, about possibly denting the garage door or pulling it off the tracks. But but the gist of the message was this. That's not what a garage door is for. Now, imagine Jesus coming into Jerusalem, the key city of the Israelites, God's people, and coming for Passover, the most important celebration in the Jewish calendar, and seeing what he saw happening in the temple, the center of worship. Based on the actions of Jesus, this was one of those very few times that Jesus got angry. 
Now, when we think of anger, we usually think of the negative and often destructive emotion. So it's neither easy nor is it comfortable to understand the anger of Jesus and even the anger of God. We don't have time today to delve into this, but for now, let's just simply recognize that Jesus was angry at what he observed going on in the temple. In your discussions, you can share thoughts on what is sometimes referred to as a righteous anger. But for now, let's just acknowledge that Jesus was angry, and we need to understand why. Jesus' statement amidst his anger reveals the reason for his anger. My house will be a house of prayer for all nations but you have made it into a den of robbers. To put it simply, the temple, God's house, wasn't being used the way it was supposed to be. Now, how it was being misused is extremely important, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But it was the misuse of God's house that angered Jesus. Now, before we continue, it's important to remind ourselves what we mean when we refer to my house being God's house. Remember, it's not about the building situated at 107 McWillie Avenue with the letters Ebenezer Baptist Church written on the outside. It also isn't defined only by when we gather together, whether that's for a Sunday morning worship service or a weekly program or a Bible study. The church, God's house, isn't only those things. It's each and every one of you, you and I, each and every Christ follower, as we become God's house. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So I wonder, if what Jesus found happening in the temple some 2,000 years ago made him angry, what if he found similar things in our lives today? Would they also not, at the very least, do the same? Would the misuse of God's house not elicit a similar response? What was it exactly that constituted the misuse of God's house in Jesus' eyes? What would Jesus have desired instead? Now, this simple statement, albeit a condemning one, by Jesus reveals to us four things that created his anger, and in turn, four things that God desires of his house. Now, once again, Jesus says, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Now, the four components of this statement are, first, my house, two, a house of prayer, three, for all nations, and four, you have made it into a den of robbers. And this shows us what it was that made Jesus angry. Now, we won't follow the statements in their exact order, but we will examine all four. So the first thing Jesus says, again, quoting the Old Testament, is my house. My house. The temple was and is and always will be, or at least always should be, God's house, not our own house. It was to be, is to be, and always should be used for His purposes and not our own. God desires that His house be, well, His house. Now, there's going to be some overlap with our second point here, but let me draw our attention to a seemingly small detail in verse 16. Verse 16 says, and talking about Jesus, would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. 
Now, at first glance, this seems to be kind of a continuation of Jesus driving out anyone selling in the temple. So he doesn't even allow a single person to carry their wares through the temple courts. But there's actually more to it than that. In the New American Standard Bible, the verse is translated this way. And he, again Jesus, would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple grounds. The temple court was not just to be an open and free-for-all area. The temple court had a specific purpose and a reason for being there. If you look on maps, you'll see that the location of this temple courtyard made it an ideal shortcut for those wanting to go from the city to the Mount of Olives. So the people would often and regularly use the temple court as a thoroughfare, not even thinking about the significance and purpose of that part of the temple. The temple authorities had a rule actually regarding the use of this space, which said, None go into the mountain of the temple with his staff and his shoes, with his purse, and dust upon his feet, and that none should make it his common thoroughfare, nor make it a place of spitting. According to Robertson's commentary on Mark, the rule was neglected, and all sorts of irreverent conduct was going on that stirred the spirit of Jesus. You see, the people had made God's house their house. Rather than looking on the temple as something through which they could serve God, they had come to look on the temple as something that existed to serve them. And they did what they wanted with it. So, is your house God's house? If my house is to be God's house, then we must fully and wholly commit ourselves to God's purposes and plans. No shortcuts. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. If you were to take stock of your life right now, would it be clearly evident that your life is being lived for God's purposes and God's desires? Or would would you be living for your own? Is your house His house? Because God desires that His house be His house. Second, Jesus was angry because God's house had become a den of robbers. Listen again to how he finishes this condemning statement. But you have made it a den of robbers. God's desire that his house be a uh, God desires, excuse me, that his house be a holy house. Jesus here also quoting the Old Testament specifically from Jeremiah 7 verse 10. In the Jeremiah context, God is speaking to his people about all those who had come through the gates of the temple. And this is what Jeremiah 7, 9-11 says. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. You see, what was happening was not only were the people sinning, they had brought their sin into the temple and used the temple as a safe haven for their sinful activities. They were hiding behind their religiosity, so to speak. Now, we need to be clear about where the sin lay that caused Jesus to call the temple a den of robbers. Does this mean we shouldn't sell CDs or t-shirts after we have a concert? Should we not have spaghetti dinners to raise funds for our youth missions trip? 
Is this what it means for the church to be a den of robbers? I don't believe that that's the right way to understand this. Notice that there are two main things that are happening that Jesus is angry about. First, the buying and selling of exactly what we're not told, but doves are one thing that is specifically mentioned. As this was Passover, Jews from all over the area would have traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate. And one of the things that would have been required of them was to make a sacrifice at the temple. Now, because many Jews would have traveled from great distances, it was too risky for them to bring their own animal sacrifices from home, as those animals could have been hurt, even died, or or blemished during the long trip. And only a perfect animal would have been considered acceptable. So it was common practice for for the religious leaders to sell animals in the temple courts, animals that would have been suitable for sacrifice, and for travelers then to purchase their sacrifice when they arrived. However, the temple leaders were inflating the price of those sacrificial animals, knowing full well that the, traveling, uh, the, the travelers had little to no choice or options. They would be forced to pay, really, whatever they asked. Do you remember back in the early days of this COVID pandemic, how people were hoarding toilet paper and hand sanitizer and, and sanitizing wipes, not to ensure that they themselves had enough, but then to try to resell those products at ridiculously inflated prices? Well, well, that's really what was happening here. Some historians suggest that a dove, which would sell for about half a shekel outside of the temple courts, was being sold for 10 shekels inside the courts. Second, Jesus was angry at the money changers. In those days, every Jew coming to Jerusalem for Passover, coming to the temple, had to pay a temple tax of one half shekel a year, about two days' wages. In everyday transactions, money from anywhere would have been accepted, but for this tax, only shekels were accepted. The religious leaders would set up money exchanges, but like the animals, they would charge exorbitant rates to have those monies converted into shekels. Talk about loan sharking at its worst. This is why Jesus calls the activities of the temple a den of robbers, taking advantage of others, cheating, and basically robbery was happening in the name of religion and under the so-called protection of the temple. God desires that His house be a holy house. He desires that each of our lives be rid of the sin that contaminates it. He desires that instead of selfishness, cheating, lying, lusting, and so on, our lives be full of things. For instance, as described by Paul in Philippians 4 verse 8, things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, Paul says, think about such things. And it's from our thinking that our living and our actions come from. Peter also exhorts us in 1 Peter 1 verse 15, simply saying, Be holy because I, God, am holy. Now, while we understand that we will never be completely holy, we will never be completely without sin until we receive our resurrection bodies, it is still God's desire that we, His house, regularly examine ourselves, confess our sin, repent, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, transforming us more and more into the image of Christ each and every day. God desires that His house be a holy house. Third, Jesus makes the declaration that His house be a house of prayer. 
Now, as we focus the last several weeks on this aspect of my house, I, again, I won't spend a lot of time, but I just want to broaden this idea from prayer to include all of worship. God desires that His house be a worshiping house. Our lives need to be shining examples of true worship. In John chapter 4, Jesus has this amazing encounter with a Samaritan woman at the well that concludes with Jesus telling this woman that a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. This was to confront the Samaritan, woman, the Samaritan woman's perspective that worship could only happen at a certain physical location. But what Jesus is saying is that true worship, the worship that God longs for and is pleased with, is from the heart. It's from the soul. It's passionate. It engages our entire being, including our emotions. And it's also based in truth. The truth of who God is, who we are how He calls us to live, our obedience to His Word. Uh, Worship is more than just singing, of course. It's how we live the entirety of our lives. We live in worship and devotion to Him. It's how we interact with others and what our lives are lived for. Holiness and sanctification, the idea of being set apart for God's purposes, literally go hand in hand. As we grow in our knowledge of the truth of God, We grow in our love and our obedience to Him, and we learn more and more what it means to live a life of worship. God desires that His house be a worshiping house. Finally, fourth, Jesus says that my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. For all nations. It seemed that the Jews had forgotten or neglected that small but incredibly significant detail. God desires that His house be a fruitful house. Now, we need to draw our attention back to the place where all of this was happening. Our passage says that Jesus entered the temple courts. But the temple had several courts. The innermost court in the holy place, but outside of the Holy of Holies, was called the priest's court. Further away from that, outside of that, was the court of men. Even further away from that was the court of women. And furthest away, in fact, outside the walls of the actual temple proper was the court of Gentiles. Guess where all of this action was occurring? You got it. In the court of Gentiles. The Jews had gotten so caught up in their own temple activity that the court of the Gentiles, the place where non-Jews could come and meet with God, was filled with Jews who were cheating each other and robbing the people. The whole purpose of the temple had actually been lost. Jesus was angry because the Jews had completely lost their sense of purpose and their call to mission. For all nations. That has always been the plan of God. That has always been the plan and desire for God's house. It's it's throughout the Old Testament and most definitely in the passage from Isaiah that Jesus quoted here. God's house was always to be a place where all nations could come and worship Him. It's interesting that this episode of Jesus in the temple, this anger in the temple, is sandwiched between the story of Jesus cursing the fig tree. To quickly summarize, Jesus comes upon a fig tree on its way into Jerusalem 
And because that fig tree was in leaf, the expectation was that there would be fruit. But finding no fruit, Jesus pronounces a curse on the fig tree. The next day, as Jesus and his disciples leave the city, go outside the city, they find that same fig tree withered, basically dead, never to bear fruit again. This is another one of those times that Jesus is angry. But what he is doing here is he is foreshadowing the nation of Israel and their fate because of their fruitlessness. Just as the nation of Israel's primary purpose was to reach the world for Christ, our primary purpose as God's house is to reach others for Christ. Like the Gentile court, we are to provide opportunity for others to come to God and to worship Him. Our worship of God should be so authentic and so vibrant that those around you can't help but notice and want to enter into worship as well. Not only did the priests of the temple not do this, they actually created barriers to allowing non-Jews to come into the temple to worship. Even though we are unable to gather together, uh, particularly on a Sunday morning, you and I are still called to bear fruit. Remember, God's house is now my house. My house is supposed to be God's house. And we are called to engage the culture, to love each other, and to love and to serve those around us and by doing so, reveal a personal and loving God, a personal and loving relationship with God, and bear fruit. A church that bears no fruit, the fruit of new Christ followers, is doomed to the same fate as that of the fig tree. A church that puts up barriers and keeps, keeps others from seeing, knowing, and experiencing Christ is really no church at all. You see, too often we ask the question, what is the church doing for me when God is actually asking us, what are you doing for what, what are we doing for Him? And what are we doing for His mission? Is your house, are you opening doors of opportunity for others to see and to know Christ? Or worse, are you putting up barriers? Does the attitude of your heart, the words of your mouth, the actions of your hands, do they draw people to Christ? Or do they turn them away? Do we look and speak and act like everyone else? Or does our life, our life characterized by worship, stand out from the crowd and stand out for Christ? Does our love for others in our church family create a longing for others to be a part of this community that defines itself by love? And if not, why not? Because God desires that His house be a fruitful house. Now, I wish I had more time to develop these four main points even more, but there will be discussion questions available for you to continue your discussions at home in a small, or in a smaller group. You can text the word SERMON to our church phone number at 306-249-0084, and you can access those questions. Now, someone once said that before the cross of Christ, Jesus had a temple for His people. But after and through Christ's completed work on the cross, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God now has a people for His temple. You and I, individually and together, are His house. Is your house His house? Is your house a holy house? Is your house a worshiping house? And is your house a fruitful house? In 1 Kings 8, 22-53, we read of Solomon's prayer of dedication for the temple. 
in your discussions, I would encourage you to read through that prayer of discussion and draw the parallels between the temple as God's house and now each of us as God's house. My house, your house, a house of prayer for all nations. Let me just close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing truth that we are now your temple, that we, those of us who have made the decision to receive your free gift of salvation, who call ourselves Christ followers, are now the place where you reside. And Father, thank you for the mission that includes each and every one of us, your house, to reach the world in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that despite the fact that we have to be physically separated this time, we will still find ways and you will still present opportunities for us to bear fruit and to bear much fruit. Father, may our house truly be your house. May my house be your house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Don't forget about the discussion questions available. And can I encourage you to find a way to share with a few others some of the things that we've talked about this morning and, and have some interaction around that. Also, please join us for a time of corporate ver- prayer excuse me, via Zoom, uh, via, via Zoom video call at noon. You can find the link at ebenezerbaptist.ca. As a benediction, let me just read a few of the verses from Solomon's dedication of the temple directed to God And and as I read, picture that this prayer is for us, for you, my house, for God's house. And don't forget the foreigner who is not a member of your people, but has come from a far country because of your reputation. People are going to be attracted here by your, God's, great reputation, God's wonder-working power, who come to pray at this temple. Listen from your home in heaven. Honor the prayers of the foreigner so that people all over the world will know who you are and what you're like and will live in reverent obedience before you just as your own people do. So they'll know that you personally make this temple that I've built what it is. Have a great Sunday. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.